You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. I'd be listening to the mainstream media and just be left frustrated on how they covered these stories. They would completely ignore facts just to promote their own agenda. I said, man, I could do a better job than these fools. I should start my own show. So I did. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Freedom Strips. As always, I am your host, Keaton. And I've got a couple topics we're going to talk about. We're going to mainly focus on the Democratic, uh, the latest Democratic debate. Uh, I never gave my thoughts on that, so I wanted to run through a couple of the highlights that I thought were interesting um, for that, and then I'll give an update on the uh, Syria, Kurds, and Turkey situation. So there's been uh, several updates on that that we'll jump into. But let's go ahead and let's start out with the Democratic debate. I skipped the last one. I didn't want to watch it just because, um, man, it was it was just more of the same. I, I Well, I don't want to say I skipped it. I watched some of it, but I didn't watch the whole thing. I kind of did the same thing with this one. I, I watched more than half. It, these things are three hours long, people. Like, I couldn't stand to watch the entire three hours, okay? I watched at least two hours of it, so... I got the gist of it. It's more of the same, really. Um, not a ton of things uh, were any different than the last ones. Um, Tulsi Gabbard made it to this debate, though. She did qualify. Um, there was 12 people on stage. So this was this was the most crowded presidential debate in the history of of presidential debates. There's never been 12 people on stage at one time. As you can imagine, everyone had literally at the beginning, they said everyone had 45 seconds of talking time per question and like a 20 to 15 second rebuttal time. How are you supposed to conduct the leader of the free world? How are you supposed to qualify someone to lead the most powerful country and military on the planet with 45 seconds of question? Absolutely crazy to me. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't the system just so messed up? A popularity contest to decide who's, who controls the most powerful military in the world? Who, who is only allotted 45 seconds of question? Jeez, man. Um, so I'll, let me run through a couple of highlights. We'll play a couple clips. Um, but first off, Elizabeth Warren was attacked all night long throughout the debate. Um, she, she was constantly on her heels and it was a clear sign that the rest of the pack kind of sees her as the true front runner as really does everyone else. Nobody believes that Biden is the true front runner. He's stumbling. He's bumbling. He doesn't even know where he is half the time. He can't get out straight sentences. He, he, he just looks, he looks old. He talks like he's old. He is old. I mean, nobody really likes Joe Biden. And so he's slipping quickly in the polls. And now that you saw in this latest debate with Warren being on her heels all night, being attacked, the rest of the pack sees her as the true front runner now. And uh, she seemed totally surprised and unprepared to handle it, too. I don't think she was uh, expecting quite the onslaught of attacks from the rest of the uh, the pack, but she got it. She was on her heels the whole time. 
Um, so with her being uh, attacked most of the debate, as you can imagine, Elizabeth Warren dominated the speaking time, you know, because as you get attacked, you get rebuttal time. So she dominated the speaking time. She had 23 minutes. Um, and just so you know how much she dominated the speaking time, Joe Biden, who is right now the leading candidate in the polls, only had 16 minutes of talking time. So she had well in a way the most uh, talking time out of the pack. Um, at the start of the debate, it was mostly focused on um, Trump impeachment. As you know, in the last episode, I told you the story about uh, how they were leveling impeachment motions against Donald Trump on this Ukrainian phone call and him trying to use, in their words, foreign interference in the election by going after Joe Biden and, and, uh, the corruption that he and his son had with the Ukrainian uh, natural gas company. So that's how the start of the debate was. It was completely useless. I mean, honestly, this took like 30 minutes of the debate. Everyone just kind of talking about impeachment and how bad Donald Trump was. Yeah, yeah. All the candidates agreed with each other. It was 30 minutes of them being all saying the same thing. It, it was it was completely useless. Honestly, most of the debate was useless. <laughs> In all honesty, but everyone was like, yeah, yeah, Donald Trump needs to be impeached. We all agree the same thing. Orange man, bad. Uh, of course, the, the topic of since they were talking about Trump impeachment and the Ukrainian phone call, of course, the topic of Joe Biden and his son came up during the debate um, and Biden tried to defend himself. He really did. He tried. But of course, he's Joe Biden. Let's take a listen. It's not okay for a president's family to be involved in foreign businesses. Why was it okay for your son when you were vice president? Vice President Biden? Look, uh, my son did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. I carried out the policy of the United States government in rooting out corruption in, in Ukraine. And that's what we should be focusing on. And what I wanted to make a point about, and my, my son's statement speaks for itself. He spoke about it today. My son's statement speaks for itself. What I think is important is we focus on why it's so important to remove this man from office. On the 17th, look, the fact that George Washington worried on the first <laughs> time he spoke after being elected president. That So if, if you've already lost what the question was, the question was, if it's not right for the president's son to sit on a foreign company on the board of a foreign company, why was it right when you were vice president for your son to sit on the board of a foreign company? <laughs> and we're talking about George Washington now. <laughs> okay, let's continue. What we had to worry about is foreign interference in our elections. It was the greatest threat to America. This president on three occasions, three occasions, has invited foreign governments and heads of government to get engaged in trying to alter our elections. George Washington said to uh, keep ourselves separate from the world's politics. Uh, he said, be engaged in the world economically, but don't get involved in their wars and their politics. Not necessarily foreign interference in our elections was his main concern. Just being bogged down and tied up in the world's politics. So let's get that straight, old Joe. The fact is that it is outrageous. Rudy Giuliani, the president and his thugs have already proven that they, in fact, are flat lying. What we have to do now is focus on Donald Trump. 
He doesn't want me to be the candidate. He's going after me because he knows if I get, if I get the nomination, I will beat him like a drum. Mr. No. Oh, I'm sorry. I just want to follow up. Mr. Vice President, as you said, your son Hunter today gave an interview, admitted that he made a mistake and showed poor judgment by serving on the, the, that board in Ukraine. Did you make a mistake by letting him? You were the point person on Ukraine at, at the time. If you, you can answer. Look, my son's statement speaks for itself. I did my job. I never discussed a single thing with my son about anything having to do with Ukraine. No one has indicated I have. We've always kept everything separate. Even when my son was the attorney general of the state of Delaware, we never discussed anything. So there'd be no potential conflict. My son made a judgment. I'm proud of the judgment he made. I'm proud of what he had to say. And let's focus on this. The fact of the matter is that this is about Trump's corruption. That's what we should be focusing on. So uh, he didn't answer the question. He didn't. Again, the question was, if it's not right for the president's son to sit on the board of a foreign company, why was it right if you were vice president for your son to sit on one? Didn't answer that question. So if you did nothing wrong, if Joe Biden did nothing wrong and Hunter Biden did nothing wrong, then what's the problem? Why, why is there such a stink about this? Hmm? If nothing was wrong... If you did nothing wrong, he did nothing wrong. Why is it the consensus of everyone that this is kind of slimy? Yeah, everyone thinks this is kind of slimy. <laughs> I think you did something wrong. And I, I just think that you don't want the investigation to find out that you did something wrong. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so there's Joe Biden being old Joe. Um, moving on, let's go to the highlight of, ah, okay. Yes. All right. We're going to spend some time on Beto O'Rourke. Um, Beto has made his platform as the platform of the mandatory gun buyback, AKA gun confiscation. He's really been pushing this hard lately, uh, at the last debate. Uh, of course I'm, I'm, I didn't cover it. But I'm sure most of you heard his tagline, hell yes, we're taking your AR-15. Um, so when he campaigned to run for Senate against Ted Cruz, he was very pro-gun, pro-AR-15. He's like, look, if you owned an AR-15, we're not coming after your guns. Now he's just outright saying that he wants a mandatory government gun buyback plan, which is gun confiscation, by the way. It's mandatory gun buyback plan which how the government can buy back something that isn't theirs. They can't, you can't buy back something that's not yours. It's gun confiscation is what it is, obviously, but let's listen to Beto lay out his plan, um, for his gun confiscation. And let's, I can't imagine that would go well, right? Thank Thank you. You. We want to turn back to domestic issues and the epidemic of gun violence in this country. We're less than 100 miles from Dayton, Ohio, where two months ago a gunman killed nine people using an AR-15-style weapon with a high-capacity magazine. Congressman O'Rourke, in the last debate, you said, quote, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. But when you were asked how you'd enforce a mandatory buyback, you said police wouldn't be going door to door. So how exactly are you going to force people to give up their weapons? You don't even know who has those weapons. Look, we're going to make sure that the priority is saving the lives of our fellow Americans. I think almost everyone on this stage 
agrees that it's not right and, as President, would seek to ban the sale of AR-15s and AK-47s. Those are weapons of war. They were designed to kill people effectively, efficiently on a battlefield. You mentioned the massacre. So uh, every weapon is designed to kill someone. That's the whole idea of a weapon. Tell me a gun. I think my friend Matt Bell, last time I had him on to talk about guns, he was like, tell me a gun that was designed not to do something like that. (laughs) Not to kill an animal. Not to kill a person. No, that's what they're designed to do. Now, you can use those for nefarious purposes or for self-defense. Now, what you want is a tool equal to your potential oppressor, your potential attacker. <laughs> you don't want to have a knife at a gunfight, per se. So, the also the idea that the AR-15 was designed for the battlefield? No, it wasn't. It's the civilian version of the uh, M-16. The, the AR-15 has never been used in the battlefield and never will be used in the battlefield because it doesn't have a select fire option. It can't fire fully auto. It can't fire in burst. It's specifically a single fire weapon, a semi-automatic rifle. So th- these, this is how you know this guy's a moron. He knows, he knows nothing about guns. He knows nothing. The AR-15 has never been used in war. It will never be used in war because it's an inferior rifle to what the military uses. They've never used that. In, in Dayton, nine people killed in under 40 seconds. In El Paso, Texas, 22 were killed in under three minutes. And the list goes on throughout the country. So if the logic begins with those weapons being too dangerous to sell, then it must continue by acknowledging with 16 million. By the way, they, they, whenever you hear these people talk about guns and how quickly they can kill people, you can just remind them that one of the fastest killers of multiple people um, in history of the United States uh, was fertilizer for a long time. Fertilizer killed a lot of people. Yep. People can make bombs out of that stuff, and that kills a lot of people pretty quick. AR-15s and AK-47s out there, they're also too dangerous to own. Every single one of them is a potential instrument of terror. Just ask Hispanics in Texas. Univision surveyed them. More than 80% feared that they would be a victim of a mass terror attack like the one in El Paso that was targeted at Mexican-Americans and immigrants, inspired in part by this president's racism and hatred that he's directed at communities like mine in El Paso. So I expect my fellow Americans to follow the law, the same way that we enforce any provision, any law that we have right now. We don't go door-to-door to to do anything in this country to enforce the law. So how do you expect to enforce your gun confiscation? How do you expect to enforce people to bring back their guns? Uh, I think that the American people will just bring back their guns. (laughs) This idiot actually thinks that the majority of Americans are just going to turn over their guns to the government. That's what he thinks. I expect Republicans, Democrats, gun owners, non-gun owners alike to to respect and follow the law. Just to follow up, your expectations aside, uh, your website says you will find people who don't uh, give up their weapons. That doesn't take those weapons off the street. So to be clear, exactly how are you going to take away weapons from people who do not want to give them up and you don't know where they are? 
If someone does not turn in an AR-15 or an AK-47, one of these weapons of war, or, or brings it out in public and, and brandishes it in an attempt to intimidate, as we saw when we were at Kent State uh, recently, then that weapon will be taken from them. Uh, if they persist, there will be other consequences from law enforcement. But the expectation is that Americans will follow the law. I believe in this country. I believe in my fellow Americans. I believe that they will do the right Thank thing. Thank you, Mr. It was not that long ago when people on the left, the Democrats, were saying, relax, no one's trying to come take your guns. We just want gu common sense gun legislation. Relax, nobody's here to take your guns. Now this guy's openly running for president on the platform of, hell yes, we're going to be taking your guns. It was not that long ago that they were like, relax, no one's coming for your guns. This guy's actively running on that platform. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg, just yesterday you referred to mandatory buybacks as confiscation and said that Congressman O'Rourke has been picking a fight to try to stay relevant. Your response on guns? Well, Congressman, Congressman, you just made it clear that you don't know how this is actually going to take weapons off the streets. If you can develop the plan further, I think we can have a debate about it. But we can't wait. People are dying in the streets right now. We can't wait for universal background checks that we finally have a shot to actually get through. We can't wait to ban the sale of new weapons and high-capacity magazines so we don't wind up with millions more of these things on the street. We can't wait for red flag laws that are going to disarm domestic abusers and prevent suicides, which are not being talked about nearly enough as a huge part of the gun violence epidemic in this country. Man, so good old Pete Buttigieg just laid out the uh, groundwork for gun confiscation. Step one is universal gun, uh, uh, gun registration, universal background checks. That's step number one. Why is it step number one? Because you have to know, you have to register everyone that has a gun. Otherwise, as Anderson Cooper said, you don't know where the guns are. You don't know who has them. So universal background checks are step number one to gun confiscation. They're using it as a tool to say they want it to protect people. They don't want it to get in the hands of wrong people. But that is step number one to gun confiscation. Yikes. Yikes. And then he talks about suicides. You know, red flag laws are going to protect people from suicides. As if getting rid of guns is going to lower the suicide rate. Well, what do you mean? Guns, guns heighten the suicide rate. Um, you might want to look at Japan. Japan has an extremely high suicide rate. And virtually no guns. Next argument. Anyway, let's... I, I want to play a couple of clips. Beto O'Rourke made the rounds on um, MSNBC and CNN. And when you know you have a crazy... You know you have a crazy idea. A crazy, very not thought out plan. When even CNN and MSNBC is like, mm, I don't think this is going to work. I think there's a flaw in your logic. What's the flaw? Well, when you enact a new law, criminals don't really follow the law. So how are you going to enforce it with criminals, which is who you're after, right? Listen to this. I fully expect my fellow Americans to follow the law. You expect mass shooters to follow the law? Our fellow Americans will follow the law. Yes. Congressman, um, and mass shooters don't fall by definition. Million... The mass shooters in Parkland, in El Paso, I could go on for 10 minutes. They don't follow the law. 
by definition. <laughs> Did you hear? I'm, I'm going to play this again real quick. Listen to the long pause. And I wish you could watch the video. You can. You can pull up the video online. But this is uh, on CNN. The long pause. When the CNN commentator goes, you expect mass shooters to follow the law? Long silence. Our fellow Americans will follow the law. Yes. What an idiot. I'm not going to play it again, but wow. There are so many instances where the proposals that we've made, whether it is a universal background check or a red flag law or ending the sale of weapons of war or buying those that are out there back would have stopped many of the shootings that we see in a country that loses 40,000 people a year to gun violence. Would it stop every single shooting? No, but that should be no excuse for not taking action now while we have the opportunity to do the right thing. And we also shouldn't be limited by the politics or the conventional political wisdom or the polling or the consultant class or the NRA on on finally taking decisive action. Understood. And I think that what what, uh, Mayor Buttigieg was saying, yeah, this it's obviously think high, aim, you know, shoot for something aspirational, but it doesn't make sense that people are going to hand over their assault weapons if they're mass shooters, if they want to do harm to people, they're not going to follow the law. So then what's your plan? Yeah. So I, I don't know that you make any law or stop making any law because you fear that some people will not follow the law in, in any part of, of American life. And so, yes, if somebody has a, an assault weapon, a, a weapon of war and poses a danger to people in their lives or people in their community or people in our lives, then, then we're going to stop them. And Meaning um, what? You're going to go to their house. Just, just tell us how it works. You're going to go to some, If somebody doesn't voluntarily hand over their assault weapon, you're going to go to their house. And then yes. what? Yes. If, if we pass this law, um, then I expect our fellow Americans to, to follow the law. And, and this is not <laughs> speculation. We've seen other countries do this, yeah, like I Australia. Law, I mean, have seen a significant decrease the in law. Law-abiding people follow the law, but our problem is with mass shooters who don't. Holy crap. CNN actually making sense for once. Yes. That's the glaring hole in your argument, Beto. What are you going to do? He won't outright say it, but yes, they will send people to your house to confiscate your gun. They're going to take it from you. Man, you want to see mass shootings in the country? Enact that. Start sending the police and military to people's homes to confiscate their weapons. That's when you'll see mass shootings. No doubt in my mind. He also made the rounds on MSNBC. <laughs> Listen to this. Anderson, so let me ask you, let's say I have an AR-15. I bought it legally five years ago. I'm a law-abiding citizen. You want to buy it back as president of the United States? I say no. Uh, you give me other incentives. I say no. I bought this legally. I'm keeping this. I live on a ranch. I need it for protection. What would you do then? First of all, I, I wouldn't concede the, the point on following the law. I, I you know, don't know you well, Joe, but I, would, I know you well enough to expect you to, to follow the law, even if it's a law that you disagree with. I think it's one of the so, things that so distinguishes for, us so, 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 as so a country. We're, we're a country of laws. Let, yeah, just real quick. That's the same argument that the slave owners used. Well, it's the law. You need to follow the law. What are you talking about? You want the abolition of slavery. It's the law. We follow the law here in the country. 
You see how that logic doesn't line up? Legality does not equal morality. <laughs> You're taking law-abiding people and creating them and, and turning them into felons by simply owning something that was legal and owning something that you have a right to own in this country due to the Second Amendment. These people don't care about the Constitution, though. Okay, but let, let's just assume that there's a rancher in Texas that doesn't that says, I'm not going to do this because this is an unjust law and it's unconstitutional, what's the next step? I think that's what we need to concede because there will be people that don't turn their guns back in. What's the next step for the, the federal government there? Yeah, I, I think just as in any law that is not followed uh, or flagrantly abused, there, there have to be consequences. Uh, or, or else there is no respect for, for the law. So, you know, in that case, uh, I think there would be a, a visit by law enforcement to recover that firearm and to make sure that it is purchased, bought back, so that it cannot be potentially used against somebody else. Um, but, but my faith is in this country and in my... So there you have it. Beto O'Rourke openly running on the platform of gun confiscation openly running on the platform of sending law enforcement to the home to quote recover the firearm so that it can be quote purchased back by the government <laughs> at least i'm you know what there's one silver lining at least we know for a fact that this is what they wanted anyway this was the end goal of it all these red flag laws, these universal background checks, all of us on the libertarian and even on the Republican side, some on the Republican side, we're saying, look, this is a slippery road. That is obviously the first steps to gun to wide gun confiscation. That's how it starts. You get a list of everyone who owns guns, what kind of guns they own, where they live, who they are, what their families are, how many of them are there. And then you go and you take them by force. These people aren't anti-gun. They're pro-gun in the hands of the government coming to your home, pointing that gun in your face and saying, give me your gun. At least we know that they're openly running on this now. Okay, let's move on. Kamala Harris. Oh, you know what's been one of my joys ever since uh, covering, I think it was the second Democratic debate when Kamala Harris just got absolutely torched by Tulsi Gabbard, is seeing Kamala Harris just nosedive in the polls. And she, if you look at her polling numbers, she has absolutely nosedive. And it's been amazing. So Kamala Harris, in, after watching her in this debate, I can 100% say she's done, guys. She was completely useless in this debate. How useless, you might ask? Well, she has resorted to using her speaking time to talk about kicking Trump off of Twitter. No, I'm not kidding. She actually thought that this was an important issue to use her very limited speaking time to combat. This was the issue that needed combatant. combating. Combating. Combatant? Is that what I said? This is the issue that's important. Trump's Twitter feed. Don't take it from me. Take it from good old Kamala. 
And so, Senator Warren, I just want to say that I was surprised to hear that you did not agree with me that on this subject of what should be the rules around corporate responsibility for these big tech companies, when I called on Twitter to suspend Donald Trump's uh, account, that you did not agree, and I would, I would urge you to join me, because here we have Donald Trump, who has 65 million Twitter followers and is using that platform as the President of the United States to openly intimidate witnesses, to threaten witnesses, to obstruct justice. And he and his account should be taken down. We saw in El Paso that that shooter in his manifesto was informed by how Donald Trump uses that platform. And this is a matter of corporate responsibility. Twitter should be held accountable and shut down that site. It is a matter of safety and corporate accountability. Thank you. Senator Warren, you can respond. So, look, I don't just want to push Donald Trump off Twitter. I want to push him out of the White House. That's our job. Join but me, the way... Know, join me the, in saying that his Twitter account figure, should be shut down. No, let's figure out... No? Why it is that we have had laws on the books for anti <laughs> Kamala Harris is like, so join me then. Join me in saying that Trump needs to be kicked off Twitter. And even Elizabeth Warren is like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? No. No, this isn't an important issue we're talking about. Like, they're, they're on the subject of um, these big tech companies and censorship and everything like that. And she's like, what are, what are you talking about? No, that's not an important issue. And Kamala Harris is like, wow, you won't? Wow. Wow, look at a Warren. She won't she won't agree with me on kicking Trump off of Twitter. Wow, look at her, guys. And she's got this big smirk on her face like she won. She just like got a big victory out of that. You idiot. You idiot. You only have so much speaking time and this is what this is not going to win you anything. <laughs> this is not going to win you anything. She's done, guys. She's absolutely done. Kamala Harris is done and I couldn't be happier about it. You know what really surprised me about this thing, though, this, this whole debate? Not one question about climate change, guys. Not one question. I thought the world was ending in 10 years. Isn't that? I, I mean, if you have an asteroid heading to Earth that's going to blow up the Earth, why are you talking about Trump's Twitter feed? I thought that I thought the uh, you would be talking about the asteroid coming to hit the Earth. If the Earth has 10 years left. We're all going to die in 10 years. Who cares about the tax rate? Let's focus on the asteroid. <laughs> so, what a joke. If you needed any more evidence into this climate change fear-mongering. There you go. That and Barack Obama just bought a multi-million dollar home on an island surrounded by water. Martha's Vineyard. Coastal property on the water. I thought the sea levels were going to rise. Put those things underwater. Why would you be investing millions in coastal property right now? We got 10 years before the earth explodes because of the sun. Yikes, guys. Um, Let's move on to, oh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden will not be the nominee. In all likelihood, it, it's, it, it, in my estimation, it's going to be Elizabeth Warren. But Joe Biden, his debate performance in this one was more of the same from him. At times, he looked okay, but the majority of the time, he just, gosh, he just sounds so old. He doesn't, 
even seem to know where he is. So I, I think it's going to be Elizabeth Warren. That's the only decent, decently, like, she's not a decent candidate, but she's the only one that can put together a thought. Like, I mean, Bernie Sanders can can put together his his thought process. And I mean, he's really the one that the whole Democratic Party is building their whole image off of anyway. But Bernie just had a heart attack. I mean, I don't know if you guys heard that news, but Bernie Sanders had a heart attack. And he's super old. And I mean, if Bernie Sanders were to win, if Bernie Sanders were to win the election, he would be one year away from the average life expectancy of a president. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? He'd be one year away from the average life expectancy of a president if he were to win. One year. And he just had a heart attack. That's going to affect people's polling and voting. For sure. Hey, this guy just had a heart attack. Do you trust him to be the leader of the free world? No. (laughs) Elizabeth Warren's health out of the top three with Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders. She seems the healthiest. She's got the most energy. That's why I think she's going to be the candidate. Um, But Biden, he just, he can't put together. I mean, just listen to this. Listen to this clip here and uh, tell me that this guy knows where he is right now. Unless we break the power of these corporations. Thank you, Mr. Steyer. Vice President Biden, you have warned against demonizing rich people. Do you believe that Senator Sanders and Senator Warren's wealth tax plans do that? No, look, I, uh, demonizing wealth people, what I've talked about is how you get things done. And the way to get things done is take a look at the tax code right now. The idea, we have to start rewarding work, not just wealth. Okay. I would eliminate the capital gains tax. That in, I, would, I would raise the capital gains tax to the highest rate of 39.5%. I would double it. Because guess what? Why in God's name should someone who's clipping coupons in the stock market make, in what? fact, pay a lower tax rate than someone who, in fact, is, uh, like I said, the, a school teacher and a firefighter? Did, did anyone else follow that? Listen to this again. The idea, we have to start rewarding work, not just wealth. I would eliminate the capital gains tax. That in, I would, I would okay. raise the capital gains tax oh. to the highest rate of 39.5%. I would double All it. Right. Because okay. guess what? Why in God's name should someone who's clipping coupons in the stock market make, in fact, clipping pay a coupons? lower tax rate than someone who, in fact, is, uh, like I said, the, a school teacher and a fireman? What, what, what are you talking about? Clipping coupons in the stock market? <laughs> You're going to eliminate the capital gains tax? You're going to double the capital gains tax? What, what, this is People's not going to be able to follow you because they don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're saying. Joe Biden, everybody. <laughs> oh, Joe. Uh, before the debate, like I said, I was excited that Tulsi Gabbard qualified for this debate. I was excited to see her take on who are next. Who's going to be Tulsi's next victim? I was thinking. And uh, before the debate, the media went all out on Tulsi Gabbard, openly pandering conspiracy theories on their show. Listen to this CNN clip. They actually, a CNN commentator, openly said that Tulsi Gabbard was a Russian plant. 
I'm not kidding. They're actually doing this, guys. They're actually saying that Tulsi Gabbard is a Russian spy, a Russian asset. Listen to this. There is a chance that Tulsi's not just working for uh, the United States of America, but I digress. So, oh, wait a minute. What, yeah. what, what is that? What? That's no, I firmly, an allegation. No, I firmly. No, I, that's not just an allegation. Uh-oh. I firmly I firmly believe that. Message is coming now. No, here. I know, watch, the, watch the bots go on Twitter now. I firmly believe that Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard stands on that stage is in the, and is the antithesis to what the, ele- the other 11 individuals stand for, especially when it comes to issues such as foreign policy. There is no question. Yeah. There is no question that Tulsi Gabbard, of all the 12, is a puppet for the Russian government. Oh, oh my God. That's CNN, everybody. The same network that peddled the Russian conspiracy theory that Donald Trump was a puppet of Vladimir Putin is openly saying that Tulsi Gabbard is a Russian plant working for the Russian government. The New York Times even wrote an article saying that she was a uh, Assad apologist and a, a Russian asset. The New York Times did it. So it makes you question like, hmm, hmm, where have you heard this before? And why are they going after Tulsi Gabbard of all things? What, what, what makes her different from the rest of the pack? What makes Tulsi Gabbard so different from the other 11 on stage? Hmm. Could it be she wants to end these regime change wars? She's against the establishment war hawk, the establishment war propaganda from the corporate media. She's against all that. Oh, so it makes sense now. That's why they're openly saying this on CNN, on MSNBC, in the New York Times. That's why they're saying it. They did the same thing to Trump. What did Trump run on? Getting out of the wars against the corporate media against the war hawking establishment. Wow, they're using the same game plan against Tulsi Gabbard. Interesting. So, Tulsi Gabbard used her time to absolutely rip CNN and the New York Times for this. Take a listen. What in fact needs to be done, protecting those Kurds. They lost their lives. This is shameful. Shameful what this man has done. Shut up, Joe. Congresswoman Gabbard... Last week, you said that American troops should get out of Syria now. You don't agree with how the president handled the withdrawal. What would you have done differently? How would you have pulled out troops without the bloodshed we're seeing now? Well, first of all, we've got to understand the reality of the situation there, which is that the slaughter of the Kurds being done by Turkey is yet another negative consequence of the regime change war that we've been waging in Syria. Donald Trump has the blood of the Kurds on his hand. But so do many of the politicians in our country from both parties who have supported this ongoing regime change war in Syria that started in 2011, along with many in the mainstream media who have been championing and cheerleading this regime change war. Yep. Not only that, but uh, New York Times and CNN have also smeared veterans like myself for calling for an end to this regime change war. Uh, Just two days ago, the New York Times put out an article saying that I'm a a Russian asset and an Assad apologist and all these different smears. This morning, a CNN commentator said on national television that I'm an asset of Russia. Completely despicable. As president, I will end these regime change wars by doing two things. 
ending the draconian sanctions that are really a modern-day siege, the likes of which we are seeing Saudi Arabia wage against Yemen that have caused tens and thousands of Syrian civilians to die and to starve. And I would make sure that we stop supporting terrorists like al-Qaeda in Syria who have been the ground force in this ongoing regime change war. I'd like to ask Senator Warren if she would join me in calling for an end to this regime change war in Syria, finally. And Elizabeth Warren just kind of stares there in disbelief like, um, I, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> but yeah, so this is this is how they treat a U.S. war veteran. She served two tours in Iraq in a medical unit fighting over there. She saw the devastation of war firsthand. This is how the corporate media treats a war veteran who's against war. You don't think you know what their agenda is now when they openly attack a war veteran for being anti-war? Man, it didn't end there. It didn't end there. Hillary Clinton, after the debates, went after Tulsi Gabbard. Hillary Clinton suggested um, this week that Tulsi Gabbard, well, it would be uh, last week, excuse me, She suggested that Tulsi Gabbard was being used by the Russians to build up a third party run to siphon votes from the eventual Democratic nominee. Hillary Clinton went on to say that. Hillary also went on to blame uh, Russian interference with the Green Party candidate Jill Stein in her loss to President Trump. So she blamed the Russians building up the Green Party candidate Jill Stein. She says that siphoned votes off of her and, and caused her to lose. No, you lose because you're an insufferable, absolutely unappealing woman. No one can stand you, Hillary Clinton. That's why you lost. That's why you lost. How much do people not like you? You lost to an orange cartoon character. That's how much they don't like you. So, after Hillary Clinton said this, Tulsi absolutely nuked Hillary Clinton on Twitter. I want to read this tweet because it was probably the best. I've liked a lot of what Tulsi Gabbard has said in the debates. I think she's done a a fairly good job. I think she could have done better, but listen to this tweet. This is 100% the best thing Tulsi Gabbard has done, period. So this is what the tweet reads. Great. Thank you, Hillary Clinton. You, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption and personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long, have finally come out from behind the curtain. From the day I announced my candidacy, there has been a concerted campaign to destroy my reputation. We wondered who was behind it and why. Now we know. It was always you. Through your proxies and powerful allies in the corporate media and war machine, Afraid of the threat I pose. It's clear now that this primary is between you and me. Don't cowardly hide behind your proxies. Join the race directly. Well done, Tulsi Gabbard. Well done. Man, that was a great tweet. Fantastic. Fantastic. Even, uh... Of course, Trump took the opportunity to uh, to take a jab at Hillary Clinton for this as well. So Donald Trump even tweeted, 
So now Crooked Hillary is at it again. She's calling Congresswoman, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard a Russian favorite and Jill Stein a Russian asset. As you may have heard, I was called a big Russian lover also. <laughs> and in parentheses, he's got, actually, I do like Russian people. I like all people. <laughs> Hillary, Hillary's gone crazy. Good old Trump. Actually, I was called a big Russia lover. Actually, I do like Russian people. I like all people. <laughs> so Trump. <laughs> but yeah, that that's that's what Hillary Clinton has done. She's she's obviously pushing the corporate media to run this Russian propaganda stuff. I, isn't this a little on the nose? Don't you think? Like, is this an obvious? Uh, so so on the nose and so obvious that they're using the same Russian propaganda plan. Oh, it's the Russians trying to build up a third party candidacy. I don't know if Tulsi Gabbard is going to run third party. I think she said that she wouldn't. But I know that she's flirted with the idea in the past. But this is the thing. When you try to challenge the duopoly of the two political powers in this country... What happens? The corporate media goes after you, calling you a Russian asset. Unbelievable. How does MSNBC respond to things like this? Listen to this. One thing that was was interesting about Tulsi Gabbard's response, I mean, she went after Hillary Clinton. She was strong. She said that she wasn't going to run as a third-party candidate. She never denied being a Russian asset. That was the one aspect that was missing from her response, which you think that would be the first, you know, in the first line or two. It was not there. When Hillary Clinton says there's a Russian asset, doesn't say anybody's name, and Tulsi Gabbard goes, how dare you call me a Russian asset? Right. I mean, she, you know, this is. <laughs> but we, but to Kimberly's point, she didn't say. She it was, didn't even say she, she wasn't. She said it was a Russian no asset. She, to your point, Hillary Clinton didn't name names, right. and but there's Congresswoman Gabbard going like me, 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 me. Okay. Um, you know, so she wanted the attention, of course, and uh, you know, look, Hillary Clinton. Uh, maybe she's rooting for the Washington. Wow. Well, you know what she didn't do? She didn't deny being a Russian asset. <laughs> Wow. If you needed any more proof, man, and I've given you guys a ton. If you needed any more proof that the corporate media absolutely is the enemy of the people, exhibit A, guys. Exhibit A. You can falsely accuse anyone of being a Russian asset. An absolutely total bogus accusation. And if you don't deny it, well... That's your sin right there. If you don't absolutely take on this completely bogus accusation, (laughs) you must be a Russian asset. This is openly running on MSNBC and CNN. What trash. Complete garbage. Complete garbage. Man. Ah, Makes me so mad. Jeez. This actually may have been the best thing for Tulsi Gabbard to, to like put these people out in the open and to expose these people for what they are. Finally. I mean, we already knew it with the Trump Russia investigation where MSNBC and CNN peddled complete, completely baseless accusation and lies about Trump being a Russian puppet for years, for years. And they're still peddling it 
today. Now they've just changed targets to Tulsi Gabbard, a war veteran who's against war. All right, let's move on to our last topic. We are coming up on our time. So let's do the uh, Turkey and Syria update with the Kurds. So the last we left off on this topic uh, last episode, the Kurds were apparently just being slaughtered. If you listen to any of the big news outlets, well, it turns out it wasn't that bad. It went about exactly as you could expect. We backed out and left. So the Kurds left by themselves facing an oncoming Turkish invasion turned to the only ally that they had in the past. And who was that? Who was that? Anyone know? Syria and Assad. So they go to Assad and say, hey, uh, Turkey is invading your country, Syria, here up in the north. Um, We're going to be crushed, but we allied with you in the past. So can you help us out? So Assad was happy to oblige. They they made a treaty with the Syrian uh, army, the Syrian government and Assad. And so now Syria has moved into the north and has stopped uh, Turkey from advancing any further. So now this is interesting. I'd love to see what the interventionists say about this. So our loyal allies, the Kurds, right? We left them in the dust. Okay. Oh my God. How could you betray the Kurds? Well, they just allied with Assad, the main boogeyman of why we were there in the first place, right? This regime changed war to get Assad out of power. So what now? What do you interventionists want to do now? So now the Kurds are lined up with Assad. Do we fight against the Kurds now? Hmm, interesting. We either fight against the Kurds, allied against, uh, allied with Assad in Syria. Do we fight against Turkey, a NATO ally that we're sworn to defend? Hmm. No, we don't do either. We stay out of it, like we did, and we try to broker peace talks between the two. And guess what happened? We did. The U.S. secured a ceasefire in Syria between Turkey and the Kurds. Wow, interesting. So we pulled 50 troops out. Everyone in the political scene squealed at the top of their lungs that we were abandoning the Kurds. We didn't need to be in between those two people anyway. We didn't need to be in between the Kurds and the Tur- and Turkey in their hundreds of years long history of being at war. Rand Paul said it best. Let's take a listen to him. I know you support the president's move to withdraw troops. What? This happened before the ceasefire, by the way, so you won't hear him reference the ceasefire, but he, he makes great points here. What do you think about him ex- imposing sanctions on Turkey? Because it hasn't caused Turkey to back down in any way. Right. Well, I think the big picture is we have to decide when we go to war and when we should involve our young men and women in the middle of harm's way. Under the Constitution, we're supposed to vote on that. Congress is supposed to declare a war. The problem in this situation is so messy, it's like, who do you want to declare a war on? The bad actor right now seems to be Erdogan in Turkey, but they're our NATO ally, and we're actually sworn to defend them if they're attacked. They're allied with the Free Syrian Army, which we supported for seven years, and we're allied against Assad. On the other side of the war, we have Assad, the Russians, and Iran, and we're going to side with them. And then you have the Kurds caught in the middle of this. And interestingly, I think the irony of this whole thing is everybody's worried about the Kurds and the demise of the Kurds. The irony may be that when the Kurds finally become aligned with Assad, 
which seems to be happening in the last 24 hours, that it may be their best chance for actually having a semi-autonomous region of Syria that is Kurdish. It's what happened in Iraq and what I hope will happen in Syria, but it's not going to happen unless the Turks actually feel comfortable with uh, Syria controlling their own sovereignty and not allowing incursions from Syria into Turkey. And I think that's what Turkey's most worried about. So it sounds like you're saying to me, why don't we let this thing play out and see where the chips fall? But Lindsey Graham has said making a mistake like that is what we saw happen in the last administration, and you could potentially let something like ISIS resurge. We know that we've already <laughs> seen in the last 48 hours an ISIS flag being raised again. And for Americans yeah. who are saying, I'm not paying attention to what's happening 7,000 miles away, they do uh, remember what happened on 9-11 right here in New York City and in Washington. Yeah. I would say that Lindsey Graham, Graham's been wrong about almost every foreign policy decision of the last two decades. He was yep. wrong about the Iraq war. The Iraq war was a mistake and made Iran stronger, allowed more chaos, more instability and more terrorism. He was wrong about the war in Libya. It led to more chaos and more terrorism. He's wrong about this. He's been wrong about the Syrian war from the beginning because the neocons, Lindsey Graham and others, and actually many liberals like Hillary Clinton, they actually all supported the Sunni extremist against Assad. I'm not so sure that the Sunni yep. extremist taking over Syria would have been better than Assad. I'm not a fan of Assad, but sometimes maybe you have two evils and you really don't have to pick sides. That's what we're supposed to vote on and have a debate, a big public debate about when we go to war. And I don't see a national interest over there. And the only way you determine if there is one, let's have a big spirited national debate, a vote in Congress and decide whether we're sending our kids to war. But 50 soldiers over there were a deterrent to nothing. And in the end, I think it was a real uh, uh, good move to get those 50 soldiers out of the way of an onslaught of Turkish troops. And you've got no concerns about a resurgence of ISIS? Well, I think we always have to be concerned about terrorism, but I think it's a misguided notion that we have to occupy t acreage everywhere around the world. So, like, we have to occupy Afghanistan to keep terrorists from coming back. Well, hell, even with us there, a third of Afghanistan or more is now occupied by the Taliban. Bingo. But if that's your theory that we have to be everywhere to stop terrorism, well, then we should occupy Libya, Mali, and that's kind of what we've been doing. But even that, we only do halfway because Africa's so big. We have we have troops in 50 or 55 nations. And yet we occupy small little swaths. But I think sometimes we think we can tamp down terrorism, but maybe sometimes we excite terrorism by the people being unhappy that we're there. Bingo. Rand Paul nails it on the head. Absolutely nails it on the head. Maybe we excite ter ter more terrorism than we uh, reduce from us being all around the world. Obviously, the CIA talked about blowback. Ron Paul talked about it in 2008 and 2012. I know you guys, if you've listened to my show at all, you've heard me talk about that. It's been well documented. <clears throat> so Rand Paul, um, absolutely correct on that. 100%. But uh, the U.S. did secure a ceasefire with um, Turkey and the Kurds in Syria. Uh, I'll read a little bit of this. Vice President Mike Pence announced... Uh, last Thursday that he and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had secured a deal with the Turkish President um, Erdogan, Erdogan under which Turkey would cease military operations in Syria to allow Kurdish forces to withdraw from the area. Under the agreement, the Turkish military offensive into Syria will cease completely upon the completion of the Kurds' withdrawal. Vice President said President Trump has agreed to roll back economic sanctions implemented against Turkey earlier this week. So there you have it. 
wow, we didn't need to be involved in the war between the Kurds and Turkey. We could just broker peace talks between the two. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? Well, that completes the show. That's all I got to talk about. So, uh, if you enjoyed the show, please rate us. Um, we are located on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you can find podcasts. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Peace. Peace.